You are listening to Scripture Study Jams, a podcast scripture study companion. I'm Rachel Wilson, and I love to study the scriptures. Now, I didn't used to love it. To tell you the truth, I had no idea how people could ever enjoy it. However, over time, thankfully I realized that my problem was I didn't know how to effectively study. But once I started learning effective study habits, I actually started to enjoy my scripture study. What this means is there is hope for anyone because anyone can learn how to more effectively study. This podcast is meant to accompany you in your exploration of the scriptures. Each episode will provide a scripture study tip, a reading of a chapter with commentary about cool facts and powerful truths, and it will conclude with a weekly challenge to help you actually apply the truths that you learn. Now, you can use this podcast as you read along in your scriptures, or if you just want to listen, that's totally fine. Although I will publish a podcast once or twice a week, it's important to study the scriptures daily. When we don't feed our spirits with the spiritual food of truth from the scriptures, they get hangry. After you study consistently every single day, you will develop a better relationship with God, Jesus Christ, the Spirit, yourself, and others. So, enough jabbering. Let's dive into the Book of Mormon. That's what we are starting with is the Book of Mormon. And for today's episode, episode number one, we will break down the phrases of the title page, and we are going deep. Now, many people will start their Book of Mormon study by reading 1 Nephi chapter 1. But really, every single person should start with the title page and introduction. In order to really understand the scriptures, you need a contextual knowledge, or simply put, a knowledge of the background and the overall big picture behind the individual stories in the Book of Mormon. This brings me to the study tip of the day. Make sure you use the title page, introductions, and chapter summaries to help you understand the context of the book and the chapter you are studying. The title page today will provide some context for you so you can better understand the Book of Mormon. When Joseph Smith described this title page, he said that it is a literal translation taken from the very last leaf on the left-hand side of the collection or book of plates which contained the record which had been translated. So the beginning says, an account written by the hand of Mormon upon plates taken from the plates of Nephi. So let's start with breaking down this part. The account we have today is an abridgment of many ancient American plates. They were words engraven on thin sheets of metal that were handed down through generations of prophets and sons. Mormon who was a prophet and military leader, he lived at the end of the Nephi era, which was around 385 AD, and he was given the task of creating a compilation of the extensive records using the plates of brass, the record of Lehi, the large plates of Nephi, the small plates of Nephi, the plates of Mormon, and the 24 gold plates of Ether. Just to kind of give you an idea of how complicated and huge a task this was, To abridge just the large plates of Nephi alone, he needed to summarize about 985 years of history. 
I can't even imagine carting around these giant plates. <laughs> I just, it'd be so heavy. Um, but towards the end of Mormon's life, he decided to give the plates to his son Moroni so he could continue his work. And Moroni just added a couple of things like summaries, sermons, letters, and notes to future readers. And then he ended up needing to bury the newly organized sets of plates, which now they included the plates of Mormon, the small plates of Nephi, the abridgment of the plates of Ether, and the seal portion containing the vision of the brother of Jared. So he put all of those together and buried them, and the plates would remain there until 1823, when Moroni would appear to the prophet Joseph Smith, reveal the location of the plates, and then help begin the translation process. So what did the plates look like? Well, we know a little bit from piecing together the witnesses of those who actually saw the plates, which would be the prophet Joseph Smith and some other close associates. Joseph Smith described the plates as having the appearance of gold, and so the term golden plates actually refers more to their color than their material. Martin Harris asserted that the plates weighed from 40 to 60 pounds. Yeah, they sacrificed so much for us. Anyway, according to many witnesses, the plates were around 8 inches long, and their length was only slightly longer than their width. They were bound together with three rings that were in the shape of a capital D. That design actually allowed the plates to be turned along the rings smoothly. And it also was so that a rod could be passed through it so that they would be carried easier. Um, every, every single plate, front and back, was filled with characters of reformed Egyptian about half to two-thirds of the golden plates had been sealed together by Moroni because he was commanded by God to do so. Uh, many modern artists draw the sealed portion bound by cords, but there's actually no description of that. They were described as solid and impossible to separate. That's all we know. And according to Orson Pratt, Joseph was commanded not to break the seal. The Book of Mormon describes that the sealed portion contained a vision given to the brother of Jared about all things from the foundation of the world unto the end thereof. A lot of people are curious. I'm curious about this. What was in it? You know, what all of it must have been huge if it was two thirds of the golden plates. But the only people who have actually seen the sealed record are the Nephites dwelling in Bountiful during the Savior's visit to the Americas and Moroni. Now, don't freak out because it says in the scriptures that God will actually eventually show us these revelations. And it says, Once people shall repent of their iniquity and become clean before the Lord and exercise faith in him, even as the brother of Jared did, and become sanctified. So knowing what we know about the brother of Jared, we have a long way to go. But it's possible that we will see those sometime in our lives, maybe. Now that we understand that title phrase, more about the account, more about Mormon and what the plates looked like, how they were compiled, we can move on to some of the other descriptions. It says on the title page, Wherefore, it is an abridgment of the record of the people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites. Abridgment means shortened version. Mormon started with the large plates of Nephi, the small plates of Nephi, the plates of Mormon, and the 24 gold plates of Ether, like I said before, 
And then the plates buried in the ground, though, were actually a summarized or abridged version about the people of Nephi and the Lamanites. The people of Nephi generally refers to the descendants of the prophet Nephi, who was the son of Lehi. Lehi and his family were living in Jerusalem among an increasingly wicked people. In response, God sent many prophets, including Lehi, prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. And like many prophets before him, Lehi was rejected, despised, and threatened as he completed God's will in preaching to the people. And while many of the other prophets were eventually put into Babylonian captivity with the people, Lehi was given a special responsibility to leave with his family and start a new righteous nation. Lehi was obedient, and the Lord guided him and his family to the Americas about 600 years before Christ was born. Eventually, Lehi's posterity split off into the people of Nephi, or Nephites and the Lamanites. The next part of the title page says, Written to the Lamanites who are a remnant of the house of Israel and also to Jew and Gentile. Remnant means remaining part. So what it's saying is that the Lamanites are remaining part of the house of Israel. I was always intimidated by the house of Israel, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an explanation that will hopefully help it seem less intimidating. The house of Israel includes the descendants of the Old Testament prophet Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And he was the son of Isaac, or the grandson of Abraham, if that helps you a little bit. The prophet Abraham and his wife, Sarah, just to give you a quick review, were promised a child by God. They got really old, but still didn't have children, and finally at a very ripened old age, and most likely through a very difficult childbirth, Sarah had her miracle son, Isaac. However, after he grew up a little bit, God commanded Abraham to do the hardest thing he could possibly do, sacrifice his own son on an altar. Spoiler alert, an angel sent by God stops Abraham, and because of Abraham's obedience, he received what is now referred to as the Abrahamic Covenant. This covenant's important in understanding the Book of Mormon. In this covenant, Abraham was promised that his posterity would be numerous, his descendants would receive the gospel and bear the priesthood, and that through the ministry of his seed, all the families on the earth would be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation or eternal life. So to put it simply, any descendant of Abraham is a part of the covenant people. So what this title page is saying is that the Lamanites are included in this covenant people because they are descendants of Lehi, who was a descendant of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. The Book of Mormon was written for them, but they weren't the only ones that had talked about it. It also said the Jew and the Gentile Jew originally meant a person who belonged to the tribe of Judah, which was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, or a descendant of Jacob, like we were talking about before. But it has also come to mean anyone from the kingdom of Judah. Gentile means the nations and was originally used to refer to everyone who was not of the house of Israel. In the Book of Mormon, it also refers to those that are without the gospel, even though they may have some 12-tribe Israelite blood in them. In this sense, whether a literal descendant of Abraham or not, any person can receive the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant 
by obeying the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So the Book of Mormon teaches those laws and ordinances, and therefore it is written to both the literal descendants of Abraham, Lamanites and Jews, and the Gentiles adopted into the Abrahamic covenant. Mormon and Moroni specify these particular audiences in the title page because by the time they were writing, the house of Israel had been lost both spiritually and physically. In about 925 BC, due to a revolt against the king at the time, King Solomon and his son over taxes, the house of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Ten of the twelve tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel, which retained the name Israel. Despite the efforts of righteous prophets, that northern kingdom with all of those tribes soon fell into apostasy, or spiritual decay. Two hundred years and nineteen kings later, the kingdom was placed into captivity by Assyria. Consequently, the house of Israel was scattered and became the lost ten tribes because they were lost both spiritually and physically. President Joseph Fielding Smith declared that through this physical scattering of Israel, the Lord would bless the Gentile nations with the blood of Abraham. Today, we are preaching the gospel in the world and we are gathering out, according to the revelations given to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and other prophets, the scattered sheep of the house of Israel. These scattered sheep are coming forth mixed with Gentile blood from their Gentile forefathers. Under all the circumstances, it is very possible that the majority, almost without exception, of those who come into the church in this dispensation have the blood of two or more of the tribes of Israel as well as the blood of the Gentiles. God sure knows how to use our mistakes to give us future opportunities for change and blessings. So right now, we are participating in the gathering of the house of Israel. So every time someone makes a covenant or gets baptized into Christ's church, they are being gathered back into the covenant of Abraham. Now I know this is a lot of background information, but when you really understand this, there are chapters all throughout the Book of Mormon that talk about the scattering and gathering of Israel and how it all happens and missionary work and prophecies and all of these things. Knowing the history and this background I'm giving you will help you not only understand big picture but also the small verses that sometimes talk about these things. So the remaining two tribes that were left over from those ten tribes that were scattered in the north, the two tribes that lived in the south were Judah and Benjamin who lived in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. We know from Lehi's story due to wickedness Jerusalem was taken captive by the Babylonians. Yet many Jews kept their covenant through the law of Moses and therefore were not included in the lost tribes. However, by the time Christ was born, many had become so entrenched in traditions and laws that they lost the meaning of their covenants and eventually rejected Christ himself. All twelve tribes needed a restoration of the truth they had lost. Mormon, Moroni, and the other authors of the Book of Mormon wrote to the Lamanites, Jews, and Gentiles with the hope that one day the descendants of the lost tribes would accept the covenant once more. They wanted this so badly because without the covenant opportunity to be cleansed through baptism and the reception of the Holy Ghost, their descendants would never be able to live with God. The Book of Mormon is a tool intended to invite all people to make covenants so all can receive eternal life. I just can't believe how much hope they had in the middle of seeing 
the decay of their people spiritually. And they had so much hope and faith because otherwise they wouldn't have taken the time to write this book. Here's where I feel like we can take a lot of meaning out of this title page even though it's just giving us context. Because the it shows how important the covenants are for us and that they are worth working for and dying for. Covenants aren't just blessings, they are also responsibilities. And that's why Mormon and Moroni kept their covenant responsibility by sacrificing so much to be able to get these plates to us. And the covenant people, anyone who was baptized into that covenant, were responsible to spread the gospel to the rest of the world and participate in the gathering of the lost tribes. That's our work, that's God's work, and that's being molded together through covenants. Understanding the House of Israel is so essential to understanding the Book of Mormon's message and our personal role in God's plan. Let's move on to the next sentence in the title page. Written by way of commandment and also by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Written and sealed up and hid up unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed. Let's try to figure out spirit of prophecy and revelation because those kind of sound different than the language we use in our times. A person who speaks by the spirit of prophecy will write divinely inspired words because they receive them through revelation from the Holy Ghost. Since the Book of Mormon was written by the spirit of prophecy, we know that it contains what God wanted the authors to write and what God wanted us to know. According to Revelation 19 verse 10, the spirit of prophecy is also defined as the testimony of Jesus, which I think is so cool. Therefore, the Book of Mormon is a testimony of Jesus and is meant to lead us to obtain a testimony of Jesus or the spirit of prophecy so that we can receive our own personal revelation. The Book of Mormon brings people to Christ as long as they receive its truth through the same process by which it was written, personal revelation. And revelation is defined simply as a communication between God and his children. It can be received as a thought, feeling, inspiration, vision, dream, or even an angelic visitation. God reveals his truth to us when we do our best to have faith, repent, and be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person can receive personal revelation from God to help them find the truth and prepare to return to God after this life. That's another reason why the Book of Mormon is so important, not just to gather people, but to support them in their testimonies of Jesus Christ and to help every single person come to Jesus Christ more. The next part of the title page says, To come forth by the gift and power of God unto the interpretation thereof, sealed by the hand of Moroni and hid up unto the Lord, to come forth in due time by way of the Gentile, the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. The process of interpretation by the gift and power of God is miraculous. Let me just share some examples of how this works so you can see the miracle in this. On September 21st, 1823, the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith and called him to the work of God, telling him of the hidden plates that contained the fullness of the everlasting gospel as delivered by the Savior. Despite his minimal formal education and lack of writing skills, he was called to translate this ancient book written in the unknown language of Reformed Egyptian. In September of 1827, with the help of two scribes, his wife Emma and his friend Martin Harris, he began translating the plates. 
Emma stated that Joseph could neither write nor dictate a coherent and well-worded letter, let alone dictate a book like the Book of Mormon. Unfortunately, the translated 116-page manuscript of the Book of Lehi was eventually lost or stolen. Consequently, Joseph lost his gift from God to translate until 1829, when a schoolteacher named Oliver Cowdery was sent to Joseph by a vision. With Joseph dictating and Oliver writing, the final manuscript of all the texts we have today was concluded in the short period of three months. God has worked with prophets in many ways, through still small voice, angels, appearances of Christ, dreams or visions, or sacred objects. For the prophet Joseph Smith, God prepared physical instruments to aid him in the work, the Urim and Thummim, or interpreters, and the seer stone. The pattern of using physical instruments is actually consistent with many scriptural accounts like the rod of Aaron, a brass serpent, holy anointing oils, the Ark of the Covenant, and even dirt from the ground mixed with saliva to heal the eyes of a blind man. According to the witnesses, Joseph would place either tool in a hat to block the light. The person writing stuff needed light, whereas Joseph, in order to see, needed darkness. So that was their solution. And the words of scripture appeared in English. He would read aloud the words, and then the scribes would write them down. Emma told her son, Joseph Smith III, The Book of Mormon is of divine authenticity. I have not the slightest doubt of it. I am satisfied that no man could have dictated the writing of the manuscripts unless he was inspired. For when acting as his scribe, your father would dictate to me for hour after hour, and when returning after meals or after interruptions, he would at once begin where he had left off, without either seeing the manuscript or having any portion of it read to him. Just like the title page stated, the translation process depended completely on the gift and power of God. The title page also stated that the Book of Mormon would come forth in due time by way of the Gentile. This confuses some because, according to 2 Nephi 3, verses 7 to 15, Joseph Smith was a descendant of Joseph, or the house of Israel, not a Gentile. President Joseph Fielding Smith explains that, in this dispensation of the fullness of times, the gospel came first to the Gentiles, and then is to go to the Jews. However, the Gentiles who received the gospel are, in the greater part, Gentiles who have the blood of Israel in their veins. Thus, Joseph Smith was of the house of Israel so far as his family or bloodlines were concerned, but he came from a Gentile nation, and thus might also be considered Gentile in the political or geographical sense. Joseph was a fulfillment of prophecy and completed this process described by the title page. All right, let's go back to the title page text. The next part says, An abridgment taken from the Book of Ether also, which is a record of the people of Jared, who were scattered at the time the Lord confounded the language of the people when they were building a tower to get to heaven. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background of the people behind the Book of Ether or the Jaredites. They lived around Mesopotamia during the time when the people were trying to build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven called the Tower of Babel. When the Lord saw the people's prideful work, he confounded or confused their language and scattered them abroad. And during this time, the Jaredites reached out to God, who led them to the Americas, where they established a kingdom 
multiplied, and were eventually annihilated sometime between 600 and 300 BC. Ether, their very last prophet, recorded their story, which Moroni later abridged and included in the Golden Plates. The next part of the title page states, which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever, and also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. Moroni clearly states that one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon record is to show the house of Israel the things the Lord has done for their fathers. By seeing the interactions between God and man from the past, people can better understand their relationship with God now. God has always worked through covenants, and Moroni wants the world to know they are not cast off forever because those covenants grant them access to the cleansing power of the atonement so they can be better prepared to live with God. Moroni also wants both Jew and Gentile, the descendants of the house of Israel and those without the gospel yet, to know that Jesus is the Christ. According to the title page, the Book of Mormon is meant to help us understand our relationship with God, Jesus Christ, and the covenants that enable us to be saved. Now, Mormon and Moroni add a little bit of sci a side note in their title page. They say, And now, if there are faults, they are the mistakes of men. Wherefore, condemn not the things of God, that ye may be found spotless at the judgment seat of Christ. I think it's interesting that the last words of the title page are a warning to discern wisely between the things of God and the things of men. The title page emphasizes the importance of finding out for ourselves if the Book of Mormon really is of God, because the way we treat the Book of Mormon in this life will affect the moment we stand before Christ on Judgment Day, according to Mormon and Moroni. Because the Book of Mormon was written, translated, and brought forth by the gift and power of God, we can know it is of God and not man, and we can know with assurity by asking God directly. I think it's important to note that seeing is different than receiving revelation from God. Only by receiving a spiritual, not physical, witness of the Book of Mormon will a person know of assurity that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Relying on academic articles, science, and other evidences alone Although those can be cool and important and add to our knowledge, alone, they will not give someone a true testimony of the Book of Mormon. Like for me personally, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I struggled with scripture study. Over time, as I got better at discerning the Spirit and as I practiced, I started developing a testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Wherever you are at with your testimony of the Book of Mormon, it's worth it to put work into it so that you can know for yourself. My invitation of the week would be to make a goal for yourself that you're going to read a certain amount of minutes every single day this week. I hope you have enjoyed podcast number one of Scripture Study Jams, and I hope that it will help you feel a little bit less alone in your journey of understanding the Book of Mormon for yourself. I'm putting all these podcasts and their complimentary blog posts if you would like to read more. They will all be on the website www.scripturestudy.wixsite.com jams. Until next time, thanks for listening.